My name is Alex Orr, and you guys are going to be listening to my dad on Bradley's house. everyone. Thanks for coming back to join us for part two with our good friend, Marshall Goodman. So then how did you go from council member to mayor of the city of La Palma, I believe, right? Correct. City of La Palma. So each council member, we're a small city. We got just under 16,000 people and we don't have a mayor at large like the bigger cities, which typically 50,000 or more, um, wow. you know, so you, have, you have an at large mayor, you elect the mayor, you know, beside the council. Um, we have each council member serve as mayor for one term. So the council, you know, appoints, we, we take a vote on who's going to serve next as mayor and mayor pro tem. And basically that's the, you know, sequence. The mayor pro tem then becomes the mayor and then we elect or appoint another mayor pro tem and then it just keeps going. Each council member serves typically one time in your four-year term. Um, sometimes if a council member resigns or, you know, doesn't want to serve, or if there's some issues amongst the council and they feel that that council member is not capable of serving, then someone will serve two terms. The Palma City Council, um, you know, gracious mentor, as I mentioned before, uh, Gerard Goodhart, he served two terms because we had a council member resign, um, due to illness and he actually wanted me to serve as mayor but it was like my second year and i said no nah, i've got i need a year to kind of warm up so i used my second year as mayor pro tem on council and my third year i was mayor it was just a, a really good experience um not really you know a mayor you know carrying around the hat and holding up the groundhog not like that it's just um <laughs> darn <laughs> yeah exactly you just kind of run the meetings you do go represent the city you know, as a spokesperson, um, but it, we're still basically just like the rest of the council. We just run the meetings. We do have a little bit of power. We can kind of choose what items go on the agenda. We watch the fluidity of items and, you know, we're just kind of the, the chair of the board, if you will. So that's, that's crazy. Yeah, it was, um, it was a great experience. And, and again, I had a great mentor in Gerard Goodhart. I also had a lot of um, tutelage from um, Peter Kim, who, you know, anytime he's extremely experienced council members, both of them. So they um, both helped me with this, you know, experience. We had a good city manager, which, which made it easy. We didn't have a whole lot of issues when I was mayor, but one of my goals was <clears throat> economic development you know, as a council member, that's one of the things I took on because looking over the city and what we have and what we need and so on, revenue was a big thing. We're always struggling to, you know, make sure we keep our businesses. If one business leaves, then we're in turmoil and we have to do furloughs and all these different things with our staff and cut back and not give raises. So my focus was economic development. So as Mayor Pro Tem, I set the stage for um, a huge development to come to the city and we actually signed the agreement um, January when I became mayor that was the first thing I did it was sign the exclusive negotiating agreement which was like a three to five year agreement to have this huge development in a um, business industrial mixed use area of our city so that's really it was impressive a, yeah it was a big accomplishment and you know when I when I, I dig in I try to take things seriously and with the right team and the right mentorship, sure. you know, these two, I had two mentors. I was able to, you know, navigate and get some things done. Did you find any similarities between managing all the personalities in the city council and managing all the personalities in a band? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. A lot of people ask that. And I actually use that when, you know, I'm applying to these other committees. When you're elected official in any county, they use the elected officials to serve on water boards or, you know, commissions and different things like that, <clears throat> because you're already established, chosen by the people. And if 
this district or you know water district serves your city then typically you have one member of the council serve on that district's board because you know you're providing us service so we represent our constituents so it in a lot of those interviews that's what i said because you know they're like so how, how do you manage you know to to try to reach consensus which you know everybody come to terms in agreement even if you agree to disagree what, what are your methods and i was like my experience so far on council has been a piece of cake compared to dealing with the bands that I've had to deal with in the past. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, it's been a huge learning experience. Um, conflict management is the the expression I always use because right. in the Long Beach Dub All-Star specifically, I was that dude. I got a nickname from one bus driver. He nicknamed me the negotiator <laughs> because we had two two tour buses and our tour bus was like, the guys that you know didn't have dogs and you know we we had a, some different hygiene hygiene habits you know it is what it is and <laughs> the other bus delicately yeah you can take that as you will right um <laughs> the other bus had some rowdy folks including Rass, um, mm -hmm. richard arthur smith arthur smith and um good dude great singer lots of fun very dynamic and one night he was having a bad night and he was trying to grab the wheel of the bus and their bus driver was a, a retired police officer. So he was about to pull over and put Ooh. work in, like, forget this, like you're endangering everybody. <laughs> so I, I got the CD and started just talking to Rass, like, all right, here we go. Check it out, man. And he was just talked it through. And so when he heard the reasoning and logic I used, understanding how Rass was and trying to get him to a place where he would just calm down and go to sleep. That's when I got the nickname The Negotiator. But I did stuff like that all the time, just for the band in general. You know, there were a lot of different personalities, yeah. a lot of hotheads, cool heads, this and that and the other. People who didn't want to speak up, people who spoke up too much. So I was typically the guy that was able to uh, bridge all the gaps. And um, yeah, so I definitely used that experience and brought it over into my experience as a councilman. For people who don't know, how did the Long Beach Dub All-Stars get started? The Long Beach Dub All-Stars got started, <clears throat> we just put a group together to do the Enough Already benefit show um, where you had lots of groups, Pennywise, no doubt. Um, we played, I think it was the convention center, it was a big venue. And you had a ton of bands come out and play Sublime song for the-, the Palladium, um, it was the Hollywood Palladium. Oh, was it the Palladium? Yeah. I, I just yeah. remember it was a big empty mm -hmm. place and it just filled up. And I was like, good Lord, there's a lot of people here. Yeah, it was packed. So, yeah, it was. It was a huge event. And um, we just got some people together to, you know, play some Sublime songs as like the former members of Sublime. And that's all it was meant to be. We had no name, nothing. And so I think we played last, you know, all the other bands, Pennywise, everyone played before us. And then we played last and played a whole set of uh, Sublime songs. And Opie was singing, Rass was singing, Michael was singing, you know, everybody was up there. We had Ike Owens, we had um, Tim Wu. I, I don't know if Todd was on that show or not, but Todd was popping in and out. Um, let's see, we had, you know, myself, Bud, Wade, and oh, of course, Eric. <clears throat> and we had um, people come up to us and ask, like, so when's the next show? And we, was like, we were like, no, there's no, there's really no plan for a next show. But as soon as that happened, we started talking and of course, we said, sure, we'll play again. Didn't know anybody would be interested. So that's when it was like 96, 97 that happened. I think we signed a deal in 98 with DreamWorks. So we just started yeah. going out and playing some shows and doing some things. Uh, uh, me and Michael did a, a demo. We started playing shows with like some of the artists that we had played with in the past or artists that we liked. And that was the foundation of the group is to play with artists that we had run into before. So John Phillips did a lot of good work early on. He's the, um, was a manager for Sublime. Mm -hmm. And he managed Long Beach Stuff All-Stars, part of Silverback Management, him and his brother, Matt. Yeah, and um, Yeah, they aligned all of these artists like that were affiliated with the Sublime stuff, you know, because of use or something like that. They had to contact them to get permission or whatever. Wailing Souls, uh, Tipper Irie, Half Pint, Barrington Levy. That's why all of those wow. artists are on the Long Beach Stub All-Stars record is because John, 
is is you know very wise in his moves and said you know what it's good that we're getting all this sorted out with sublime but hey the guys are working on a new project you want to check it out they're in the studio right now so they'd come in and we did songs and that's basically right back and we brought uh, i think hr over onto wonders of the world as well but early on we did long Beach stuff and friends that was me michael and eddie and we also did right back like the first ep Michael, myself, and Eddie did. And then the first record, same lineup. And then Wonders of the World, we used Paul Leary. But Michael and I still did all the, you know, demos and arranging and different things like that. And we, I believe we may, I don't know if we used Eddie on uh, Wonders of the World or not, because uh, Paul tended to use his guys. But anyway, that's how the band started. And that's how now, Marshall- we got our foundation. I don't want to cut you off here, but you had told me a story off air one time and um, the name, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. You mind sharing for the listeners how that came about? Right. That was exactly what I was transitioning into. Well, we we got the name, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars from Brad and Michael brought it forward because him and Brad used to talk and Brad was like, if we don't like the deal that we have done with Gasoline Alley, you know, MCA, um, we'll just go across the street like Parliament Funkadelic did. You know, they signed a deal as Parli- Parliament and they went across the street, signed another deal as Funkadelic. Same people, same entities, just different names, different labels. Brad was like, we'll use that strategy <clears throat> and we'll go across the street and sign with another label and we'll call ourselves the Long Beach Dove All-Star. So that was Brad talking to Michael and, you know, Michael's brilliant. Michael is absolutely brilliant. His memory is like a steel trap and he has his finger on the pulse of things like that. And I know that's why Brad really liked him is because Michael just has this instinct, right? So he just, it's like this marketing brilliance. And so he remembered that and was like, we should call this group the Long Beach of also. And he really didn't tell us in the beginning, you know, it was just like, yeah, all right, that's cool. It's kind of flat, but yeah, we'll use that. And later on down the line, he let us all know where it came from. We were like, no, really, you know, and that's just Michael's, again, he's brilliant. So that's, yeah, the name actually has extended through uh, from Brad, you know, believing that he could go across the street like Parliament Funkadelic and sign another record deal if the sublime didn't work out or if he didn't like the provision, you know, and that was it. It was just on the wing, just kind of, we'll just call it the Long Beach of Also. So that's how we ended up with the name. Man, that's so awesome. Now, before the Long Beach Dub All Stars got going, I need to circle back because I have to ask this question because I've asked it from a few of our guests. You guys are recording self-titled. Uh, you know, we talked about earlier how you were very much a part of it. And I have to ask, as you guys are there recording it, you've been a part of like 26 bands you'd mentioned so far in this podcast and <laughs> recorded a lot of music and has, have been a part of a, a ton of, uh, a, a ton of different musical projects. Did you know that there was something special going on with this album? Uh, did you realize like, man, this is, this is going to be it. We're, we're off to the races now. So. That's a funny thing. Um, I've been asked that question before and it's, it's asked, it was asked with 40 ounces of freedom. And to be honest, I responded the same way with both records, with all the projects that I've done. Cause you know, I'm a little weird. It, I live in a different space. You know, again, Michael's brilliant. I, I don't, I don't approach things that way or I don't have that brilliance because I approach things a little different. I am as, in the moment as you can be ever as any human being you'll find like Buddhist monks probably are better than me, but that's been my target my whole life Mm. based on, you know, the provisions I was given, the life I was given, this kind of survival mode that I was in. I live in the moment. Like I don't predict too much. I don't expect too much and I don't linger too much in the past. I just kind of go right now. And so with 40 ounces to freedom. Yeah, of course I thought it was the best, but I didn't do any prediction. I just said, this is, this is dope. I mean, that's the only thing I would do is to work to make something the best it could be. And that's what we do with 40 ounce. That's what we did with the self title. So it was like my creativity comes from 
not, you know, it, it, I, I do want to be the best. I want to make it the most it can be for what it is. So what these songs are, the way I look at them, is how are we expressing our emotions to other people? How do we get, how are we getting our ideas across? Are people going to be able to hear what it is we're doing? And are they going to be able to understand the different colors that we're painting and throwing their way? Are we, are we making it clear for them? Are these transitions and, you know, are these drums balancing off of the bass right to make that feeling come through where they want to move or where they want to stop for a minute and just listen? Like, are we doing that? That's where I focus. That's my inspiration music i'm just like a mathematician you know more so than anything and then of course the creativity comes in you come up with these licks and these different things people will come in and do this beautiful run and it'll move me i feel it in my soul but that's not something i aim to do like ever i want to make it to where how are we communicating the best sometimes no drums is communicating the best what's the point of this thing we're doing what's the point of this song what are we trying to do and so from from 40 ounce to freedom all the way through self-titled, all the Long Beach Dub records, that's all I was really trying to do. So predicting whether we were on to something like this is going to blow up, you know, there's really no way to know that. And I don't really think that way. That's more of Michael's wheelhouse. Like he's that predictor, marketer, this is the direction we should go. I'm more like, once you figure out where we need to go, let's go and I'll be that drill that just gets us through, you know, just make it happen. I'll make what we, what we make like solid. And that's actually the dynamic that created all the Long Beach dub sound and um, through Michael and I being co-producers, you know, because we, we serve different purposes. A lot of times we fight. I mean, we don't get along 50%, 51% of the time me and Michael are around each other. We don't get along. But that 49% creates magic. And that allows both of us to understand that, yeah, we need to go ahead and just get over all the drama that we have. We're different people. We do different things do things differently but we make great music so that's you know where i where i come from that's how i looked at everything and that's how i approached doing those records that's a tough balance to find i think a lot of bands struggle with that and you know making it work between multiple strong personalities and creative visions and the fact that you guys were able to make that happen that's that's a credit to both of you for sure yeah, I agree. Um, I will admit, though, that it took a lot of patience and, you know, my consensus building, you know, reasoning and logic and all that really helped in that dynamic. And after a while, I, I you know, I would get tired after a while because it was a lot of work. For me, you know what I mean? A lot of times I would concede. Um, and if I didn't concede, I know I would have a fight with him. And then maybe a week later, he'd come back and say, yeah, you were right. And I was like, bro, just, you know, save the whole week of drama. Like, trust just give me a little bit of trust you know and that those are the those are the cycles that we would go through still go through and so you know but for him to stick around and to to you know stay diligent and you know be willing to work again true indeed you know we 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 were blessed and lucky to link up and uh be able to create what we created and uh yeah i wouldn't change a thing hard work definitely hard work dealing with different personalities in this band has been trying, but sometimes that struggle is what creates the good, the good art. And I think we achieved that. Well, you certainly have. Now I got to ask this question. I don't think I've asked anybody this yet on the podcast, the sitcom Joey, how did that all come about? The Long Beach dub all-stars are the theme song for an NBC sitcom. How'd that happen? Crazy, right? And that guy, Joey, it's like the, the weirdest thing in the world. We were all shocked too. What happened? And this is the music industry in a nutshell, in my opinion, no offense to anybody in the music industry. I know lots of people who are executives and different things like that, but they, they'll have to admit. And if they are off air or, you know, somewhere else talking sidebar or pre-interview and stuff like that, they will admit that a lot of things happen in this way. The story I heard was that. Whoever was doing the music direction work for that or directing it or whoever was an executive on that Joey sitcom, they were in the search for a theme song. And this guy's daughter was just playing our record in the background, Sunny Island, and he's like, that's it. And then that was it. Now we're have a theme song on, you know, Joey because his daughter was playing the song wow. and he was just walking through and just, oh, that's the song. Let's do it. 
And so I don't know how many people were working underneath. I don't know how many people submitted songs. I don't know how many people followed, you know, synopsis and wrote stuff and all this work going into it. And it just boils down to a whim of one guy just saying, oh, that's it. And it just, we didn't try. We didn't do anything. You know, it was just like so free. So there's no formula is what I'm saying. You know, they make it seem like it is, you know, turn your music in. Let's, let's see if, you know, I'm going to work and do theme songs for shows. It's like, please, because the way they're chosen, it's completely random many times. It just comes out of nowhere. And that was how Sunny Hour got to be the theme song for Joey. And I think it's important to mention that, like, it wasn't just a theme song for a sitcom. Joey was the first spinoff after Friends went off the air. So it was a spinoff from one of the most successful television shows in the history of TV and a show that everybody expected really big things from. Unfortunately, the show didn't make it. But for the Long Beach Dub All-Stars to be in that spot, I mean, that's a big spot that any band would have been excited to have. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Um and yeah, I don't mean to downplay anything. You know, I gave you my hard perspective of of what happened and, and you know, my approach. Because it wasn't the first time that something like this, you just fall in, falls in your lap. Did you hear about how the clearance came for doing time? Um, somebody, you know, John was just in the elevator. He went through all the process to get the sample from the Gershwin Estate cleared which is where the sample, I, I got it from like, it's Herbie Mann playing, where is it, live at the Newport or something like that. And I took a portion of Herbie Mann's version of, of Summertime and used it for the song Doing Time. And, you know, used like the Colbert Thriller drums and used the Wilton Felder drums, stacked some drums, did some other little things, played the bass. But the sample is from that record. We were doing everything we could to get it cleared. It was no this, no that. Now we can't do it, jump through all the hoops. And so John gets in an elevator with somebody from the Gershwin estate. They're on a different floor of the same building he was in. He's like, oh, you're so-and-so, right? Like, yeah. W who you work for? I work for the Gershwin estate. Oh, really? Okay, well, look, we were just trying to get the sample clear. Okay, we'll clear it. Done. It was, that, that's what got it done. Like, so freak, so weird, so outside the bounds of normal activity in the music industry. But that's how it got cleared. Otherwise, no one would have really heard that song in that way. It's just crazy. So for me, as an analytical, uber logical, reasonable person, you want to try to figure the formula out. Like, okay, if you want me to do this work, how can we get it done? Right? That's how I approach things. There's no, there's no real way. When you have things like that happen, when you have occurrences like that, it's like there's no way to predict anything. And again, for me, that's why I just stay in the center, just work on what I have now. And if someone says, oh, we got to get this clear, it's like, ah, good luck. You know, and who knows if we'll get it done. Let's just pray for some, you know, lottery type thing to happen and, and we'll win. So anyway, that's what that's the only reason I brought that perspective up about the Joey theme. But you're absolutely right. I mean, friends, huge. We had a, a, a phenomenal opportunity. Still seeing residuals. I got a um, an award from CSAC, my performing rights organization, for that theme song um, because you know, it did get so much exposure. So they presented me, CSAC presented me with the composer award. So yeah, you're right. We were very um, happy to be a part of that. Yeah, man, that's uh, that was really awesome for all of the fans. Marshall, if you would, again, this is Bradley's house. We talk a lot about Brad. And uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite memory? Like when you're sit back and you think about it, is there a time or a place that's just, a memory that you hold close to, to yourself that, that you had with Brad? Um, just overall, he's just a friend. Um, I, I just remember the times, the, you know, I'm a very empathetic, very energy-based person. So when I hang out with somebody, I can remember where we were standing, you know, things like that, um, based on the energy we're having at that moment. So the times that I remember like that, that's kind of how my mind works, kind of, I picture things and, and save them as memories tied to emotion. It's just hanging out with them. One that I remember is, is going to Nick's cafe and getting burritos in Seal Beach. And we just hung out, sat in front of the spot and just, you know, had our burritos. The first time I had it, it was great. And there's that emotional tie. Plus I was with a good friend talking about history. 
finding someone that really did have an in-depth understanding of the sociological things I understood and wanted to discuss. And he was hungry for more information. So if there's ever anything I mentioned that he didn't hear, he was, what would you say? Wait, break that down. Tell me more. And I was more than happy to share about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, you know, Denmark Vesey, Martin Delaney, you know, all these people that I've been studying. He was wide open, wanted to hear about it. He's like, oh, that's what KRS-One was talking about, huh? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, you know, so he fell in love with KRS-One and you must learn. And the whole, you know, black empowerment movement, like we got to talk about that. And I didn't get to talk about that with anybody else except, you know, my black friends or people of color. And he was that one of those guys, one of those people in my life that you wouldn't expect to be so interested in these sociological topics that I was steeped in. And we would just sit and talk. So that's another, like, that's the center, in all honesty, of our, of my remembrance of him, is that friendship and us talking about those types of things, historical, sociological, and of course, the music, you know, and that was something I definitely enjoyed with them. Um, it was, uh, it was bittersweet because when we were playing good, we were playing good. But when there were bad times, it was completely rotten and terrible. So that kind of offsets each other. So kind of why the music isn't at the forefront, because some of the most tragic times I've had in music have been with that guy, you know, and it's like, wow. And and that's the reason I would sit and talk to him like, come on, man, you know, you got to you got to be cool with all this. And, you know, so the music part, of course, when we were in this little garage studio, uh, the Toledo studio making 40 ounces of freedom. I remember that like it was yesterday because, you know, you had to turn the air conditioner off in the drum room, which is the main sound room, because when you went to record, you didn't want it to interfere with the mics and it got so hot in there. And then as soon as we're done, you turn it right back on because it's hot when you go outside. Like, I remember all of that. And Anthony Arvizu being there, um, the control room and getting done with the take and going in there and listening back. You know, I remember all that like it was yesterday. And that's kind of it, you know, as far as the music, like those are some truly, truly special moments. And then during that time we were recording 40 Ounce of Freedom is when we went to Nick's Cafe, you know, when we took a little dinghy out into the canals in uh, Naples. And for some reason, uh, Brad was pulling up to somebody's dock to kind of run up and say hi to somebody. And I had no concept you know i don't know boat culture you know I, I don't have never had boats didn't do any of that he's pulling up to this dock and this lady was waiting for him was like nope nope you're not coming here and i was like what's going on does he know her or something like that and she was like nope get off this dock you're not going to come to this dock i didn't understand so he still pulled up he found a way to pull up on her dock go up go do what he needed to do while she was screaming at him trying to push him off the dock and I was like, what was that about? I mean, was that your friend's mom or something? He's like, nah, she just didn't want me using her doc. You know, I was like, is that a thing? Like, I don't even get what's happening. But with that, I felt, you know, there was a level of respect because there was this other whole other culture that Brad had that I had no idea about that he was steeped in. And I was intrigued by that. I was like, oh, that was interesting. You know what I mean? Like, that was crazy. And how he handled it, you know, just still did his thing, but didn't get crazy. You know, but still, he just kind of managed his thing. Um, I remember that very vividly. You know, him and I taking that little dinghy out there, cruising the uh, the canals. I think it was Fourth of July too. It was like early in the day, and so we were at his dad's house or something. And we went across the bay and went into the canals to do something, and then we came back. You know, that was about it. But the funniest thing, I did the same kind of trip with Jim many years later, and I took uh, my daughter Livia out. And uh, your dad, Kelly, took us out on a, on a dinghy. Same thing from his house across into the canals. And we just cruise around and mm -hmm. we cruise right back. I think Eric Wilson was with us too that day. Awesome. So, yeah, that that whole culture, the beach, bay, boat culture um, is, is very much a part of my memories um, with Brad as well. But, yeah, all good things, to be honest with you. You know, I, I focus on the good. Yeah, I think that's, that's important. And again, I, it's, you know, you were a member of his band. You guys made such great music together and, uh, it's just.
cool to hear the stories and, and kind of some of the memories that people have with him. And I know Kelly enjoys hearing them too. And it's just, uh, it's just a lot of fun to, to be able to, to relive some of that stuff. So I appreciate you sharing that with us, man. For sure. Pleasure to be able to. So Marshall, what, what's going on in your musical career right now? I mean, we know you're doing the whole politics thing and you'd mentioned that you're a dad and, but you really never get away from the music, do you? No, I don't. As much, as many times as I've taken a break to go back to school to finish my bachelor degree, you know, I did that in 2009, um, after the economic downturn. Um, I think in 2010, I did a remix for Good Charlotte. Me and Michael did that together for Broken Hearts Parade. They released it. It was a big deal. Um, in that time, I did some stuff for Slightly Stupid, like one of their, I did a single, a remix, or uh, um, an edit. So they did an original demo and I fixed the demo up, arranged it and did everything. And it became um, a single that K-Rock put into rotation. That was like 2011 or something like that, top of the world. And then throughout those years, I did little things like that. I was in a group called War Church with DJ Grayboy. It was a DJ group. Um, and we did a little show at House of Blues or something like that. Just a little burst. We used to play at the Pike in Long Beach. Just little bursts of stuff like that. I recorded a record with a good friend, um, an extremely talented artist, musician, martial artist, um, Courtney Adams. He goes by Clavius. Um, we did a whole record together. It's like progressive rock, just right here at my house. And, um, you know, we, it's an extremely creative record. Like, uh, you know, one of his inspirations is, um, mine too, after he introduced it to me, is Selling England by the Pound by Genesis. And that's kind of the fashion we did it. Like, you know, yes, uh, the song Roundabout, stuff like that. It's a total progressive rock record. Outside of everything that I've done, but that's something I was raised on too, and I really love. So during that whole downtime where I kind of stepped away from music, if you will, was doing that. And then Michael and I started LBDA. So we did, he did this thing called the Skunk 25th Anniversary. And that was based on some things we were discussing when I was about to finish school. In 2013, I was telling him, we need to do some videos, him and I do some videos, tell our perspective of, you know, the sublime story, because it's not really out there too much. And we can, you know, make some new music as we're making the new music with new people. We can show the formulas that we use and so on, just kind of, you know, not sell what we what we're doing, but just kind of let people take a look into how we make records and make new records and then put a new record out. So he took that concept teamed up with Kevin Zinger and I'm not upset about this. It's just something he chose to do. These are those things, you know, it's just like, it is what it is. And he did skunk 25th anniversary. So he put a band together and it wasn't an interview thing. It was more so a skunk 25th anniversary live thing. And I even took part in it. So we did a bunch of shows. Um, when that was done, we decided to continue and we called ourselves LBDA because there were people saying, why don't you put the Long Beach of all stars back together? We're like, nah, we're good. And so we did LBDA for a number of years. Um, and then in 2016, Kevin Zinger asked me if I'd be willing to put the Long Beach Dove All-Stars back together for this 25th um, anniversary for SRH. And uh, that was a production company. It's a huge um, merchandise company and lifestyle company, surf, skate, everything. Um, they promoted you know, some of the early Long Beach Dub All-Stars show, you know, after we start, after we did the benefit until we got the record deal, we did a lot of shows with SRH down in the San Diego region. And we did one show with them where they put on a boxing match and bands would play between the matches and you got to sit and watch like different musicians box each other. It was great. So Kevin Zinger hit me up, was like, look, we're having a 25th anniversary. Um, side stage I'm doing it at the Blazing Glory Festival. And this was in June of 2016. He called me early 2016 and I was like, sure. I'll put it together, but here's my condition. Um, I need Opie involved and I need Eric involved. So I think we got Opie, but you need to give Eric a call to make sure he is available because I will do this as an inspiration being that these two guys I was in junior high school with, and here we are all these years later, 
being able to, you know, get on a stage 2016, I want to do it again with Eric and Opie. You know, that will be my inspiration. And um, he's like, for sure. So he got in touch with Eric's manager and things were lined up. And we got, I got the whole thing going, talked to Michael. We talked to, um, we got Roger Rivas because he was playing in the Skunk 25th anniversary to play Oregon. We got Jack, you know, Tim, the whole, the whole shot. And Eric was going to be on base. We got about a month away from the show and it was uh, revealed to our, our, our Kevin that Eric was going to be in Japan. So I guess he took another gig or whatever. And so we had to get Ed Campworth. And I was like, all right, that's fine. You know, we're, we're still doing it. And Eric is around. We're in touch with him. We'll be able to get him involved somehow. And so we did the show and kind of the same thing happened. We just looked around at each other. It was like, you guys want to keep going? Um, we said, sure. And so we interviewed a couple managers. I felt that Kevin would be great. And uh, we ended up sticking with Kevin, regime management. And they have an agency as well booked us some shows. They were getting guarantees higher than any of the other managers um, said they could get. And, um, you know, the main thing for me was that Kevin had the confidence in us. The other managers were like, ah, oh, you guys are kind of old. Where are your socials? You know, all this stuff. Kevin was like, yeah, none of that shit matters. Look, let's do some shows, man. You guys are dope. I got to see it firsthand. You're doing it right now. You're playing music. It was a great, I watched the crowd. Like, let's, let's do some shows, you know, fuck all that social media and guarantee we'll get you what you need. Let's go. And so I like that. I mean, that's what you need, you know, as an artist, you need somebody who has confidence in your art, not, you know, what you're going to draw and all this stuff. Sure. That matters. But if they have confidence in your craft, you can know that they're going to get you what you need. So he did exactly that. And we went with regime, did shows for two years, you know, doing the same routes. Um, weekends only Thursday through Monday because all of us had jobs and families, different things. And um, by 2019, the goal was to, you know, have these routes. You hit one route one time, second time you get a little bit more, third time you get a little bit more. And so we were doing festival anchor dates with like, you know, drive dates around um, local cities or maybe even like crossing state lines, just, you know, a drive or whatever. But we'd fly out to one spot, rent a van and do a little drive circuit and fly back. And so by 2019, the third circuit um, venues were ready to book. We had we created a, a potential tour path. So that's what we did. We went on a tour summer of 2019. And um, prior to that, I think it was about 20, the end of 2016, early 2017, we started talking about putting out new music. So we did this single deal. That was another place where Michael and I clashed. He wanted to produce them by himself. And I was like, okay, go ahead. Um, no input from me. He mixed it by himself, all this stuff. And, you know, upset the band because the band wanted to change some lyrics. And he's like, no, you know, all this and that. Typical Michael. But again, he's a genius. He's extremely creative. You just have to kind of abide. Sometimes you got to compromise or concede really is the, is the expression. And that created a little wave. So instead of, you know, letting it be i kind of pulled the reins back on stuff and started getting paperwork done and having everybody you know kind of find their place and um that helped iron things out organizationally and then we started doing more demos for you know full record and when those demos started coming in everybody was sending them to me and i was kind of putting stuff together arranging stuff opie was listening like i like this one i like that one so i'd arrange that one put some drums to it send it to him right and um, we got all the demos done like that. Supposed to have the record done before the summer tour of 2019. Fumbled a little bit. And then, craziest part, um, what was it, February of 2019? We went to Japan. And uh, Opie got arrested and put in jail. And so we were kind of stuck. We, we were considering canceling our summer tour. So. We had to cancel some European dates because we were going to Europe right after Japan. We had to cancel those Europe dates, but Opie ended up getting out. We got the summer tour done, but the record wasn't done. So we ended up waiting 
we 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 missed the cycle for Christmas kind of release. And so we used that summer tour as like a pre, we had all the songs done. Like, and so we played a lot of the songs on the new record on that summer tour and kind of preloaded everyone. Like, get ready for our record. It's coming out soon. Here's a new song off our new record. It was already supposed to be out, but you know, all the ripples caused it not to be. And um, we got it out actually the next year, May 30th of 2020. And, um, you know, it got some really great reviews and, and did pretty well, you know, surprisingly well. And that actually is the labor of love out of this whole second rendition is, is completing that record because it, it's, it's, you know, it was produced by myself and, and Cameron Webb. And, um, our target was to make a, a studio one esque, um, organic, authentic. Those are the words that people use throughout their OP Jack. And so I gathered those in and, and that's what we did. And it was one song on there that's kind of dynamic with the hip hop beats and all that, uh, make a name, but most of it is our take on studio one, authentic, organic reggae, the way that Long Beach musicians do it and the way that the Long Beach dub all-star musicians do it. So there's going to be little twists that go outside of truly authentic. Like we never really wanted to do that. Sublime Long Beach stuff. None of us wore red, gold and green or really went down the Rastafarian path, which is fine, but we chose not to. We just wanted to play the music and not, you know, submerse ourselves deeply in the culture of Rastafarianism or anything. We just truly appreciated reggae and we showed that through our music. So that's the same thing that we did with this record. And I think we accomplished that. You know, I'm really proud of this record. Um, that leads us to now doing more demos actually. As we speak, you know, Rogers turned in five. Ed's turned in like 19. Ed's always writing. Ed Campworth, he's he's a phenomenal songwriter. And um, you know, we're writing to do a new record in this whole COVID time. You know, we're not able to do shows, so we're going to try to create new music. But that's the long and short of it. You know, I, I proud of what we did. In, in four years, we we're able to get a record done and um, travel, you know, across the nation. And um, get the buzz going again for the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. And we, we said, and I say continually, that Eric and Bud are more than welcome. Um, you know, Rast has struggled and, and is coming around. He's turned the corner and he's, he's doing some shows and he's, he's playing music. But it was just a partition that was created quite some time ago that is tough to heal. And, you know, our approach now is a little bit more professional. I don't know. The, the way that the early Long Beach Dub All-Stars went, it was like, knock the system, let's do things our way. And that, and that was intriguing. It was so much work in the background going on to keep the train on the track. Myself, Mitch, um, the road manager, John, agents, everybody was having to fix things. <clears throat> so what I did in 2016 was prove that we can do this thing still without having all the drama. So that's one of my asks is that we don't bring drama. So when Opie went to jail in Japan, that was a big, moment like we all had to sit down and like talk things out like that could have jeopardized this whole organization so we need to watch what we're doing and um but bud and eric more than welcome you know rats welcome to you know given certain um agreements and just to get the whole life of this thing going again you know so i feel good about getting this thing resurfaced and, and people back out listening to long beach dub and i'm truly open that our old records, our old catalog will get out there and people will, will, you know, be awakened to this creative stuff that, you know, was back in 2000 and 1998. There's a lot of stuff that's out there, a lot of, a lot more good music with lots of features and stuff like that. So hopefully, um, we'll get that goal met. <sighs> All right. So you put me in a tough spot here because I've got listeners that expect me to do a job as a podcast journalist. I've got to ask, and you brought it up. Um, Initially, Eric said yes. He was going to be a part of it. Did you get it? Did you reach out to Bud? Did you get an answer from him? And when did you find out that Eric wasn't coming to be a part of it? The Eric situation was done through managers. <clears throat> and it's interesting because I I did some work with Sublime with Rome. Um, I saw Rome at like a Manny Pacquiao fight or a Manny Pacquiao movie that my wife's cousin produced and directed and just made and um uh, rome is friends with that circle 
with my wife's cousin circle of friends. So I saw Rome there and we just talked and he's like, yeah, bro, I'd like to have you come out and work on a record. So I went and I worked with Sublime with Rome and Eric and I, you know, connected. And that was prior to the LBDA thing. So we were all good. Whereas it was kind of rough from the past with Bud, Eric, myself and, and Opie, Jack, like there were some sides, like Opie, Jack, myself, and then Rasp, Bud and Eric kind of on the other side. And, you know, there was some use issues like, you know, uh, not even use, but just recreational choice stuff that one side chose to do and, and the other side felt that that affected the business and blah, 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 blah. So there were some partitions that still existed. Me and Eric broke those down. Opie, myself and Eric broke those down. So we all went to his house and jammed one day. It was all good. You know, so things were progressing. That never really happened with Bud. But I was still willing. I think Opie had talked to Bud, you know, quite often. Bud moved away, though. He went to um, Las Vegas, I believe, um, Lake Tahoe. So he kind of just took himself out of the equation. And, um, you know, Eric was still around and he was still talking to everybody. And, and we just needed to connect. So we did. And everything was good. So that's why things happened with Eric. And then, again, I was in with Rome. And that's one of the things I'm more than happy and willing to do as part of the structure that I hope to create for the Long Beach Club All-Star is to have a rotating membership, you know, have Rome come out and sing some songs, have Carlos come out and play some drums, because he's one of my favorite drummers. I mean, no question. His his work with Tribal Seeds, I always looked at him and gave him a nod, like, yeah, you're doing it, man. Like, that's what's up. That's how I would approach those songs, no question. And then when he hit the Sublime with Rome stuff, I was like, yeah, he's the right guy for that job. I mean, he's doing it beautifully. Bet, better than any of the drummers, you know, prior, you know, um, or as good as Bud, at least. So... We never really reconnected with Bud. Opie reached out to him a lot, and Bud was like, "Yeah, okay, we're cool." And we played a show in Lake Tahoe, and and Opie told him, "Come on out, man." And so he didn't he didn't come, but um, it just never it the connection was never made. But the the hand was extended, no question to Bud, and it's still extended. It's just you know there's such a history with everybody, and it takes work for each of us to get past those histories, you know, and how much are you going to harbor? Not saying that he's doing any of this, but those are the challenges. It may be one of us that harbors and lets it unfurl when we're around him, you know, and he may know that, you know, so it's just like so much to deal with. And um, blessed to be able to get over that hurdle with Eric. Um, we just haven't gotten there yet with Bud. All right, Marshall. Uh, on every episode with every guest, before we let them go, I ask one question. If you and I just met and you started telling me about your band Sublime and I said, man, I'm just really not familiar. And I was going to give you an opportunity to play me one song. I'll give you one song to hook me. What song would you play from the Sublime catalog to try to reel me in as a fan? What I got, of course. I think you're the first person to pick that, right, Kelly? I don't think anybody's picked what I got yet. And I love it. Thank you. It's the obvious answer. Yeah. So, of course. I mean, based on your question, you didn't say, you know, what song I liked or anything like that. But what would reel people in to Sublime? What would cause people to want to hear more of Sublime? Sure, I could think Under My Voodoo. You know, that was a dynamic song that Brad did. It was wonderful. Paul Leary's, you know, it's one of my favorites. Santeria, of course, hands down, one of the favorites. But if somebody heard what I got first, they'd hear all the different dynamics, like the loop drums, the scratches, the beautiful melodies, the um, half pint hook, you know, from half pint song love. And that's where that hook comes from, you know, and, you know, just all of that, like the the renewing of reggae that Sublime did, you know, by Brad singing all these different artists and incorporating all these lyrics and concepts from different legendary reggae artist that he loved he brought into sublime santeria doesn't really do that um under my voodoo doesn't do that what i got is the quintessential in my opinion sublime representative song and um i think the industry knew that too so there are a lot of sharp minds in the industry and when you listen to that whole self-titled record that song definitely sticks out as the one and david khan to be honest with you, he produced that one. He He's one of those very intuitive industry people that is kind of a, a know-all, like a, a an oracle. And um, that was uh, his favorite too. So 
definitely what I got. Makes sense. I can't believe I get to ask you this question right now, a question that I've wanted to know for so long. April 29th, that's a Mob Deep sample in there. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to live illegal, right? Is it? It's, yes, it is. It's got to be. <laughs> I'm going to pull the Michael answer and, and say, well, do your research. <laughs> so, I don't, I, I don't, I don't need to do the research. I already know that it is. I just, I, maybe you guys didn't get permission and you don't want to admit it. That's fine. It's no big deal. But I know that that's, that's a sample from my deep shook ones. Um, well, Marshall, man, thank you. Uh, yeah. You understand, right? Okay. So Absolutely. You, go. you got to say what you got wanted to say. And now we're moving on. That's good. Yeah. No, I'm happy. We're, I'm happy. We're all on the same page here. Um, by, the way, right. by the way, I will say this that Mob Deep is one of my favorite East Coast hip hop groups of all time. Well, mine so too. That's, that's why. That's an indicator. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. I, Nas, you know, Gangstar, those were like the, the big three for me, you know, from, from that side. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. You, you can do the math, I guess, but you know, no, no comment on. on right. No, hey, I, on that song or anything. <laughs> I don't know. I, I get it, but you know, you just, you can't, I, like I said, I grew up on the East coast. So shook ones was like an anthem. And I was that like, is, that's the, that is that mob deep song. Like you asked about the sublime song. That's the one for mob deep for sure. Of course shook it is. Is like the anthem for all East coast, hardcore hip hop. That's like the one. So I don't know. You can do the math. I was huge, huge hip hop fan. Like I, I'm, I was raised in hip hop. So you, if you say you are hip hop, you have to know about Mob Deep. And yeah, so I don't know. Okay. No, yeah, I got it. Hey, listen, being a hip hop fan is, it was really cool. I got nervous as I got older, how it was all going to work out and like being a dad. And I really never had any issues except for the one day. I'll never forget. This is just a few years ago. I'm in the living room and I'm vacuuming and, uh, the whole house is to my back and I hear my six year old and he screams out, Hey dad, can I kick it? And I just immediately went, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And then I just heard the table <laughs> cleared. Just, he kicked the soccer ball across the kitchen and knocked off like four cups, a bag of goldfish. And I'm like, okay, so there it is. Being a, being a hip hop fan as a parent did, it did finally punish me at some point. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how else to respond immediately. If someone's going to ask me if you can kick it, yes, you can. That's how it goes uh, down. Yeah. yeah. Answer's you always know. yes. It's one of those hip hop things that's like when, you know, you say God is good, there's a response, all, right? All the time. Say, Thank you. And that definitely is one of those for sure. It's like you, in, in Texas, you know, what do they say when the moon shines bright in the deep of the night? They have to clap and do deep in the heart of Texas. That's one <laughs> right. Of so that's a great story, man. So he, he, he flew the ball across the kitchen, kicked it. Yeah. He kicked yeah. it for sure. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that he had his ball lined up and he was going to try to kick it into the living room. And I had my whole back to him. And I, he just said, Hey, dad, can I kick it? And I immediately responded back with, Yes, you can. And then I just heard the. Oh, was... Yeah, you, you got hip hop in your blood as well. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't get away from it. Well, Marshall, man, thank you so much for, for doing this. Um, it, it's really amazing that we were able to, to get some of these stories out of you and find out what you've got going on right now. Um, if anybody's looking to catch up with you, Marshall, you got social medias, websites, uh, anything that you need to plug to let everyone know? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I don't really think about that too often. But, yeah, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, the family unit, the Long Beach Stub All Stars, um, all platforms. Um, we got a dot com. We got, you know, it's either LBDA Music or Long Beach Stub All Stars, but it's all over. You just search it. It's Facebook, um, Instagram. And my stuff, you know, I don't really do social media, man. I got an Instagram Ross and G thing, but I don't post all the time. I'm real boring. You know, I tried to hire somebody to do it and they fell off too. So it's just like, maybe it's just not meant to be. But the Long Beach Stub All Stars thing, I think everybody can, can chime in there and you'll get all the, the best updates, um, Opie, you know, posts a lot of his art stuff and, and, you know, lots of stuff he's doing on, um, his Long Beach Stub All Stars or on the Long Beach Stub All Stars page, as well as his tattoos by Opie, I believe is his on, uh, Twitter. No, no, Instagram. 
And he is one of those guys that does stories all the time. He's got a very entertaining um, Instagram. So check him out. And um, that's it. And we just appreciate all of you here in this uh, podcast, as well as all the listeners that have been here over the years and are interested in, in what I have to say. Just appreciate you and wouldn't be doing this without you. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing those stories. You know, the, the, the music stories are a lot easier for me to distance myself from, but when, when there's personal stories that remind me of Brad as a, as a person, not just as a musician, those, those hit me. So I'm super grateful for the mute button while you were telling that story. I'm not going to lie. I was crying hard, but it's just, it's really cool to um, connect with, with people who knew Brad on such a personal level. And so thank you very much for being on the show with us, Marshall. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Wow. Such an awesome conversation with Marshall. Just really incredible to be able to have him on and, and share some of those stories. And I know how much you enjoy it too, right, Kelly? Absolutely. I mean, he's just such a great guy and he's an amazing storyteller. And I, I just have so much respect for him. He's really navigated the music industry and politics and I mean, just so many different areas. And he's done it all with so much poise and so much class. It was really fun for me to have him on today. It was a great show. Yeah, and so much awesome stuff uh, that's going on with Marshall and his band projects. Talked about the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. Some exciting news from one of our friends of the show, Kelly. Uh, Humble Collective, I saw on their Facebook. They're opening up a brick and mortar. Sarah's going to have an actual store for the Humble Collective and not just online anymore. Yeah, good for her. I'm excited for her next step. They've been such great supporters of the show and the foundation, and I'm really excited for them. I think it's going to go well. They've got a great product. They do it with integrity and, and, you know, we're hoping for the best for them. Definitely. Absolutely. Now, before we get into the song that we're going to end this week's episode with, we've got kind of a fun announcement for all of our listeners at Bradley's house podcast. We know how much you guys enjoy coming over every two weeks. We invite you into the house. We hang out with a cool guest, but Kelly and I have been talking and it, we kind of miss you guys over every two weeks. So what are we going to do, Kelly? Well, Jarrett, <laughs> we're going to start going every single week, which I'm super excited about. We have so many people to talk to, and it's just been too hard to try to get these things every two weeks. So we're going to start going every week, and I hope I hope people listen. I hope people enjoy it, and um, and I really hope that it helps to uh, to make a difference. I'm excited about it. Absolutely. Now, we are going to end you guys this week with another song off of the amazing compilation album done by the folks over at Law Records, The House That Bradley Built. We've got the Long Beach Dub All-Stars with one of my favorites, Little District. Hope you guys enjoy it. Until next time, I'm Jared Orr. She's Kelly Noel. You guys don't have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. Oh, in a little district in your neighborhood. Like they think they should A word from your mouth Your lights get knocked out A blast to your lips And later you move and slip And if you have to, don't trip I don't know how they manage But believe me, mister, they do If you've ever lived there You just listen Like they think they should A word from your mouth
lights get knocked out. A blast from your lips, and later you move and trip.